Okay. Gamel, camel, foot, gather, walk. Do good to your servant, and I will live. I will obey your word. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. I am a stranger on earth. Do not hide your commands from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. You rebuke the arrogant, you are cursed, and who are cursed, and who stay from your commands. Remove from me scorn and contempt, for I keep your statutes. Though rulers sit together and slander me, your servant will meditate on your decrees. Your statutes are my delight, they are my counselors. Okay. Let's see, do we have, I don't have, I didn't write down a single prayer request this week. I know I had some, I had a lot of them, but well, uh, yeah, we'll just pray in general. <laughs> well, yeah, we can pray for the country, that's for sure. Um, I, yeah, well, um, we uh, did have Russ the plumber here today, I'm sorry, Steve the plumber to uh, fix the lady's toilet and the flange under the toilet broke and so it was rocking and uh, so Steve the plumber met the Lord and then asked for uh, prayers for his mother, who well, I won't say, I won't say what the issue is, and then his father has cancer. So we'll add them into our prayers. And let's see here. Uh, you say you led him to the Lord. I didn't. The Lord led him to the Lord. I just opened my mouth and spoke. So here we go. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for a chance to uh, to uh, come into your presence and to share in your goodness and in this precious word of yours. And we just pray that uh, the class will be a good one and that people will be built up and edified by it. And we certainly lift up uh, Steve, who is uh, starting a new walk with you, and we pray that he uh, sticks with that and pursues it and uh, teaches his children about you as well. And then uh, also that he would take the time to talk to his mother, who has got some issues that desperately need to be uh, taken care of, and it's on his heart. And we would pray that you would uh, meet that need according to your wisdom, and also for his father, who has cancer, and he's concerned about him as well. So, Lord, we pray these things for them. We pray for anybody else that has any physical or mental or financial or whatever other thing that's ha uh, um, keeping them from a close and a personal walk with you and uh, harming their relationship with you. We would pray for them that they would be able to look above those things and to you, even for uh, joining their heart through their troubles. But we would pray that their troubles would be taken away. And yes, Lord, we do pray for this nation. It looks like very dark days are ahead, and they've already started in a very quick spiral down yesterday, and it seems like it's going to continue in that path. So we would pray that people would, uh, more than anything, I'd pray that this nation would be, uh, would be uh, whatever the word is, punished for accepting the path it's taken, and maybe that will bring us back to you if that's what's uh, uh, in the cards. Lord, we just would pray these things, that you would... Uh, uh, be glorified in this nation once again. And if not, we'll just uh, see history unfold as it is. But for now, we'll just stick to uh, the class and pray that it will be something that will build people up. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure how to pray for things when, when we have gone so far from the Lord and we've rejected a, a good path. It, not, not that the man was any better than anybody else, but he did the right thing for the nation and for the people of God in the nation. And uh, we've rejected that. And so we're just going to have to uh, live theory. with it. The, yeah, in theory. We'll have to live with the, uh, the direction that we're taking and we'll just have to uh, watch the Lord work in whatever way he decides to work. Um, let's see here. We've got uh, 
one year in Christian history book. Yeah, I, I just don't even know how to pray about that. came to mind while I'm praying to the Lord, and, and it, it's very hard to even ask for something when we know that we're on the wrong path. It's just very hard. Um, let's see here. Today must be the 21st. 21. 21. The 21th of January. Um, what, uh, what one does during life matters more than how long one lives. Born in Scotland on 21 January 1613, <clears throat> excuse me, George Gillespie attended the University of St. Andrews. He first came to prominence in 1637 when he, when he anonymously published a dispute against the English popish ceremonies obtruded upon the Church of Scotland, in which he criticized the criticized the Episcopalian innovations imposed by King Charles I on the Church of Scotland, which was Presbyterian. In 1643, only one year after becoming the pastor of Greyfair's Church in Edinburgh, Gillespie was the youngest of the four Scottish ministers chosen to attend the Westminster Assembly, considered by many the greatest assembly of theologians of all time. Called by the Puritan English Parliament to advise and guide it in promoting the Reformation. In his day, he was often referred to as the great Mr. Gillespie. He was the most able defender of Presbyterian church government at the assembly, and he provided the material for many legends, some true and some exaggerated. Nevertheless, the legends illustrate the godly character of the meetings and Gillespie's role in them. One such story begins with the assembly wrestling with the question, what is God? George Gillespie was asked to pray for guidance for the assembly. His prayer, O God, thou art, thou who art a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchanging in thy being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth, provided the Westminster Catechism's answer. Another story tells of Gillespie's skill as an orator and thinker. During a debate on whether the church or the state had the authority to excommunicate, Samuel Rutherford, Gillespie's older colleague, called upon Gillespie to respond, saying, Rise, George, rise up, man, and defend the right of the Lord Jesus Christ to govern his by his own laws. Gillespie began by summarizing the speech of his opponent, and then, piece by piece, he broke down his opponent's arguments. So convincing was his reasoning and oration that Gillespie's opponent exclaimed, That young man, by this single speech, has swept away the learning and labor of ten years of my life. Perhaps the most reliable tale is the story of Gillespie's notebook. While listening to an opponent and preparing to respond, Gillespie appeared to be taking very detailed notes. After Gillespie presented his persuasive response, men sitting beside him found nothing about the speech in the notebook. Instead, they found in Latin such notes as, Lord, send light, Lord, give assistance, and Lord, defend thy own cause. Upon his return home from <clears throat> London, Gillespie was elected to serve in the High Church of Edinburgh in 1647 and was selected as moderator of the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland in Edinburgh in the summer of 1648. Shortly thereafter, Gillespie became gravely ill with tuberculosis at the, end, at the age of 36. During his last days, he received a letter from his old friend and colleague Samuel Rutherford, who wrote to him from St. Andrews. Be not heavy. The life of faith is now called for. Doing was never reckoned in your account. Though Christ, 
in and by you hath done more by twenty, yea, and hundred gray-haired and godly pastors. Believing now is your last. Look to that word, Galatians 2.20. In 1661, 12 years after Gillespie's death, King Charles I forced the Episcopal government of the Church of England upon the Presbyterian Church of Scotland. To dramatize this event, Parliament removed Gillespie's tombstone from his grave and had it publicly broken to pieces. His tombstone is no more, but the documents of the Westminster Assembly live on as a memorial to George Gillespie and the others who drafted them. Sounds like what's going on in the nation today and people that are being erased will still be remembered long after the people that are doing the erasing are completely forgot. That's just the way it'll be. Uh, reflection, when a gifted person dies at a young age, the world often laments, if only he could have lived longer. None of us knows the number of days God will give us, yet we know that those days will be enough to do what he has planned for us. How are you using the time that God has granted to you? And they quote Ephesians 5, So be careful how you live, not as fools, but as those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity for doing good in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but try to understand what the Lord wants you to do. Wow. So he was a young guy, but did a lot. What? Yes. When they, when they were talking, when, the, when he was dying, the guy gave him the verse, Galatians 5.20. It's pretty good. I'm 220. 220. Huh? 220. 220. Oh, that's what I I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I hope the folks online can hear that. If not, he just read Galatians 2, verse 20. And uh, that's a wonderful verse that, uh, let me read it again, just in case they didn't hear it. Uh, let's see here, 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who, lived, who loved me and gave himself for me. So I'm glad you pulled that out because uh, it was kind of incomplete without, you know, why would they quote it? With, maybe they're hoping that people will read that afterward, but, you know, in the middle of a study, that may or may not happen, so I'm glad you did that. Um, let's see here. We have uh, 5.18 is where we are at today, and seeing as how um, we're just starting the Bible portion of the Bible class, nobody's going to get called out for being late today. Actually, somebody will when she gets here, but the other person that just got here isn't technically late because we haven't gotten into the Bible yet. Um, 5.18. Here we go. I'm going to back it up to the top of the card. Yes, please. Which is uh, life by the Spirit in general. This so moved me last Thursday that I'm opening church with this. Oh, I'm boy. Which verse? 16? Uh, just the, this, this whole thing. Oh, okay. And uh, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Okay. So, if you were, and this one says, if you were led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So it's almost identical. Yeah, okay, good. Um, let's see here, 518. These For people that haven't seen this before, if anybody's clicking on for the first time, uh, these are my notes from my Bible commentary that I've done over the years. And so I just read them rather than trying to make stuff up off the top of my head because these are prepared and 
and thought through uh, usually about four o'clock in the morning when I type them. Today, I actually slept until 4.32. Wow. I know. I, I, I got up at 3.37 and as I normally would, and I said, I have nothing to do this morning. I'm going to go back to bed. And I just lay back down and so took another hour. The sky was purple that's why the sky was purple this morning. That's exactly why. Yeah, I, I, that's, I can't remember having gotten up that late and as long. But I just said, I thought it through. I did all of the work that I needed to do at the mall this week. And all I have to do is post the Bible commentary, and nobody ever comments on it until after 5 o'clock, and so I figured nobody's going to read it this early, so I'll post it later. So I went back to sleep for almost a whole hour. Okay, let's see here. Uh, 518, here's my comments. In verse 16, which he started with, Paul exhorted the Galatians, and thus us, to walk in the Spirit. Now he says that if we are led by the Spirit, we are not under law. That's very clear. Uh, he's going to make a point about that coming up soon as far as uh, circumcision is concerned and people that don't want to be led by the Spirit. And uh, uh, it's a sad way to be. It doesn't mean they've lost their salvation if they're saved, but it means that they're not getting any credit at all. Zero. Zero credit for their life lived in the presence of the Lord after being saved. Now imagine getting up to the beam of seat of Christ and you're expecting your rewards and losses according to 1 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 5 and you get up there and you get nothing, nothing for the life you lived. You know, we got this devotional right here that their question was, uh, does it matter if you die at a young, what have you done and what are you, even if you're living longer, doing for the sake of the Lord? If you're living under the law and not living by the Spirit, you will get zero credit for it. Now imagine that. Well, anyway, here we go. To walk in the Spirit and to be led by the Spirit are the same concept, differing only in that one is the cause while the other is the effect. It is the Spirit who should guide us. To understand this, we can look at the other option, that of the law. If we are led by the law, then we will walk in the precepts of the law. Okay, question before we go on. Who are the people that walked under the precepts of the law more than anybody else in the New Testament? New Testament. Sadducees and the Pharisees. That's right. And then later the Judaizers. And yet they weren't in at all favor with the Lord. At all. Obviously the Judaizers aren't because that's who Paul's writing against. But you got these people that are living by the law, precept by precept, and yet they are completely unpleasing to the Lord. Okay? If we are led by the law, then we will walk in the precepts of the law. Paul is showing that the two are mutually exclusive. As a matter of fact, I almost use exactly that same sentence in the sermon coming up on Sunday. The law and grace are mutually exclusive. All right? One cannot be led by the Spirit while being led by the law. It is impossible. You, grace has nothing to do with law, and law has nothing to do with grace. And that's why we can go back really quickly in our minds to David and what he wrote in the Old Testament when he wrote in the Psalms, blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. What does the law demand? The imputation of iniquity. When you do wrong, it is imputed to you. And David, writing under the Spirit, he's being led by the Spirit during the time of the law, says, blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. He understood the grace of God even during the time of the law. And how did he understand that? Because he was a violator of the law. the law. That's exactly right. He should have been condemned for what he did. Then what did, uh, what's his name, Nathan say to him when he came? Uh, the Lord has taken away your iniquity. 
And that's probably when he wrote that song. Maybe not, but I mean, he was a violator of the law. He should have been taken out and stoned to death, if nothing else. And yet the Lord forgave him because he was reading David's heart. This is a man after my own heart. 400 years after he's dead, he's still saying that about David. So um, one cannot be led by the Spirit while being led by the law. One cannot walk in the Spirit if they are walking according to precepts of the law. As I said, one is cause, one is effect, but you've got exactly the same thing going on. With the giving of a law, the knowledge of violating that law becomes known. That's, you know, when I talked to Steve here today after he fixed the toilet, I said, I'm not going to keep you here long. I just want to talk to you for five minutes. And he understood immediately the idea of law. I said, if you don't have a law, you don't have what? He says, there's no wrongdoing. He, he, he didn't need to be taught this at all. He just, he was a guy that understood the, the fundamentals of how things work. And so when I asked him a question, all it did was for him to think it through concerning his own self. But uh, there was very little I had to prompt this guy with, which is rare. Usually people aren't thinking on items like that. But anyway, he, he had somehow come to these conclusions in his own mind. So it was just introducing how you get out of the box you're in. That's all it was. So um, with the giving of a law, the knowledge of violating that law becomes known. If I'm going down the road and there is no sign that says 40 miles an hour, I can do whatever I want. Yeah, and there's, think. well, yeah, I mean, I'm saying that if there is no sign, then I can do whatever I want in that car. But if I'm going down the road, I'm going to miss up this uh, blackboard here. I, it, somebody cleaned it today. It was driving that person crazy. So I'm, I live here, okay? I just moved into this house, and I'm on this road. This is my first day getting out onto the road. I got here late last night, and I pull out, and I get onto this road, and I'm going in this direction, okay? And there's no sign, but there's a sign down here. It doesn't matter that I don't know that sign is there. What that sign says is the law. I'm the one that is supposed to know what that sign does say, even though I didn't see it. So if I miss that, I am obligated. This sign says 40 miles an hour. If I'm going 45 down this road, that cop that is sitting right here on that U driveway where he loves to sit and eat donuts and trap people, he's sitting there and he's pointing that radar at me. Guess what I'm getting? Ticket. I'm getting a ticket because the law has been written. Okay, read it again. With the giving of a law, the knowledge of violating that law becomes known. The cop knows it. The guy that's going to do the ticket downtown knows it. The judge, if I appeal it, knows it. Everybody knows it. I should have known it. And after uh, the ticket? And after the ticket? Yes, I'm going to not only know it, I'm going to know that the cop eats donuts right there. And, you know, so there you go. Um, uh, ignorance of the law is? No defense. No excuse. The what? Donuts yeah, keep donuts with you so you can bribe the cop with them. Listen, I know this because I take care of 7-Eleven in the morning. I see them there every single morning. They line up there, and those donuts are cleaned out when they're done. They pull up one after another. Yeah, anyway, um, uh, with the giving of a law, the knowledge of violating that law becomes known. When that same law is taken away, life apart from that law becomes possible once again. And, uh, you know, one thing, I don't know if that guy will ever come back here. I don't know if he'll ever go to church again. If he does, that's great. If he uh, decides to start attending church somewhere else, okay, whatever, that's going to be his decision. But the, I made a point, something I normally don't do, and I thought, I'm going to start doing this. Is I, After he made a commitment to the Lord, I said, I want you to know that you can never lose this. And I went through the logical reason why, because he may go into an Arminian church or a Wesleyan church, and the next thing you know, he believes he can lose his salvation. And the rest of his life, he's going to be sitting there in bondage, thinking, 
Yeah, what kind of what kind of a savior saved me, and then I have to do something in order to keep being That's saved? That's a great idea. Yeah. It, it solidifies how great that day that, was for him. Absolutely right. And I told him, I don't want anybody ever to come to you and say otherwise. If they do, they do not handle this word properly. I didn't say it exactly like that, but I, I let him know that. And I'm going to do that from now on out if I talk to somebody about the Lord is that this is a done deal. Okay. And I think that's important because you don't know where people are going or, you know, maybe he's going to quit his job and move to Tennessee tomorrow. I have no idea, but I want him to know that he is not going to lose what he is started by faith, which is what exactly what Paul has been talking about for chapter after chapter. You Galatians, you started by faith, and now what? Okay, you started in the Spirit. Was his family saved? Uh, I don't think anybody is. He he, so, he didn't know anything. I mean, he knew that because when he starts telling them, yeah. they say, well, you, you've done all these things. Yeah, you, you can't be saved. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't, I don't think anybody in the family is, so... Um, yeah, okay, so here we go. With the giving of, I read that, uh, let's see here. <clears throat> Excuse me, would you come up here, ma'am? Christ, uh, I'm going to wait and say this and just hurry up because we got a class going and uh, we we need to show this because this is so cute. This is this is from Rebecca, our friend. She lives up in Alabama and for Christmas she got uh, Hidako and I some Chihuahua shirts. I don't know if you can see that, but we got little Chihuahua and what does it say? It's not... Go ahead, read it out loud. I can't see. No. It's not dog hair. It's Chihuahua glitter. Oh, yes, Chihuahua glitter. And then mine says um, hippie, happy pills, and it's got little Chihuahuas all over it. So here, give me a kiss. You're late for Bible class. Okay. Um, let's see here. So here we go. We're in uh, right here. Sorry. I just had to show you that because it was so nice of Rebecca to do that. Okay. Um, uh, life apart from that law becomes possible once again. Okay. Christ fulfilled the law of Moses, making it possible for sin which is a violation of the law, to be dead in us. And, you know, it's one of the things, it, it, when you're talking to people about uh, Jesus, okay, it's one thing that from time to time, you, you want to just go through this in your mind. Remember the key points is that, you know, you're a sinner, you need a savior. And uh, that it, I always take them through Adam and I explain the father thing because most people get this. Sin travels through your father. You have a father, I have a father. And the reason why I'm doing this is I want people to immediately know the doctrine of Christ's deity. And, you know, it, it's not necessary for the gospel, but I do it because I don't want the same thing. This guy could be saved and then end up going to a Jehovah's Witness and they say, well, he's not God. And that causes another conflict in his mind. So I take a person through Adam, sin comes through the father, not the mother. And I say right in Genesis 3.15, it speaks of the seed of the woman. And I highlight that, I, you know, when I'm talking to somebody. And the reason why is because I want them to remember that precept, the seed of the woman. And I said, and then from that point on, the Bible is going to speak of the seed of the man. That's all it speaks about. From there on, it's always speaking about the seed of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And it goes down, and it's always the man, the man, the man. I said, so why the woman? And I usually put that on the back burner, and I start talking about something else. But I've stressed it there. And eventually, I get to the part about circumcision. Circumcision is a sign of, of what? God was going to do in the giving of his son. And then we get to Mary, and I say that in the book of Luke, in chapter 1, this girl in Nazareth is, is uh, told that she's going to have a child. And she says, well, how can I? I'm a virgin. And so from there, you explain. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. The Holy Spirit is God. And so what does that mean? And I'll say, 
I, today went with him. I know he has children. So I said, what are your children? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, what category do they fall into? Are they monkeys? Are they lizards? What are they? He said, no, they're humans. I said, okay, so your children are human beings. Mary has a child. What is that? And she, he obviously answered a human being. I said, okay, his father is God. We just got that out of the Bible right there. What does that make him? And immediately people will answer, he's God. And so then all of a sudden you realize you've got the God-man. You've taken care of another problem with theology in the gospel presentation. Okay, so you've got that out of the way. And then from there you explain, you know, what Christ did. 1 Corinthians 3 and 4. He died for your sins, implying you're a sinner. Okay. No, what? 15, 3 and 4. What did I say? You didn't put 15. Oh, I didn't put the 15 in there. Well, that's me getting beyond myself. 15, 3, and 4. Anyway, so there's a few key points that you want to make sure that you give people each time. And I always throw in circumcision because even though people may not be circumcised, they all know the Jews are circumcised and they don't understand why. And so that, oh, it, everybody, I've never talked to anybody that doesn't know that people are circumcised in the Jewish faith. And I say, that is a precept of the law of Moses. And he was born under that law. And so you're getting things into people's minds that they're not going to forget if you give them very simply without a lot of baggage around it. And that will take care of a lot of their later problems in theology. And I'm glad that today I started adding in that precept that you're not going to lose it. And I'm going to do that with any person I ever speak to about the Lord again. Because you have got key points that he's going to remember that. If he doesn't remember anything else, he's going to remember those key points. And so, uh, and it's all pertinent to what Paul is writing about right here. The Spirit you know, walking in the spirit, etc. So we'll go here again. Christ fulfilled the law of Moses, and that's why I introduced that. He lived under the law. He was born without sin, so he is qualified to take away our sin. But could he do it? And so then I said, he lived under the law, and that's what the gospels are there for, and they prove that he never sinned. So now he is not only qualified, he's capable of taking away your sins. So all that theology in just a two or three minute talk that he won't forget. The other stuff he may, and as I tell people, you know, you get saved and then you can spend the rest of your life screwing up your own doctrine. Okay, people will do that. But if you get the fundamentals out early, they are going to at least remember those. And the important ones, if you're going to introduce them, is introduce them properly. The deity of Jesus Christ is one of them. It's not necessary to tell people that God sent the Messiah and he died for your sins and that's all you need, you know. But Give them the important points, and I think that's helpful. So, Christ fulfilled the law of Moses, making it possible for sin, which is a violation of the law, to be dead in us. It also brought about the possibility of being alive apart from the law through Jesus' work. This is noted in Romans chapter 6. Let me take you there really quickly. And it says there in Romans, oops, Acts, Romans, let's see here. Romans 9, 8, 7, and there it is, 6. Okay, Romans 6 says, verse 11, I'll take you to 10, for the death that he died, Christ, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Here it is, verse 11, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, so there you go with that. I'll read that again. It also brought the possibility of being alive apart from the law through Jesus' work. Okay, now, because of Christ's fulfillment of the law, in its entirety, once again, I want to make sure that, you know, somebody that 
may have clicked onto this video for the first time, the law is done. If somebody teaches you that the feasts of the Lord are yet to be fulfilled, I, you know, the fall feasts, that is heresy because it means that Christ did not fulfill the law. Every single precept, every precept of the law of Moses is done. There's nothing waiting to be fulfilled. There's nothing waiting to be completed. And if somebody teaches that there is a part of the law of Moses that needs to be fulfilled, it means that Christ did not fulfill the law. If Christ did not fulfill the law, he is not the Messiah, and we are still dead in our sins. It's that important, okay? So, read it again. Now, because of Christ's fulfillment of the law, in its entirety, the law is annulled for those who receive his work, okay? Meaning that it's not annulled for those who did not receive his work. I'm talking about Jews because only they were under the law of Moses. Uh, the people that are not under the law will still be judged by the standard of the law, which is Jesus Christ's perfection. They won't be judged by the law itself, but they will be judged by the standard of the law. Christ is perfect. He died for you. You did not receive that. You did not receive his perfection, and therefore, you will be condemned, okay? But the Jews who did not come to Christ are still under the law of Moses. I'm going to bring that up in the sermon uh, just in maybe one or two sentences this week, but let's think. What does that mean about the doctrine of covenantalism? Because people say dispensationalism is not correct, okay? Covenant people, you know, the, the reformers and they are covenantalists, okay? Covenantalism is true. God gave a covenant to Adam. He gave a covenant to Noah. He gave a covenant to Abraham. He gave a covenant to Moses. But what does it mean if the Jews that did not come to Christ, where are they? Are they in grace? No. Well, then where are they? They're stuck in the, in the preceding. They're still in the law of Moses. So covenantalism does not answer the full question. It does provide a framework of the Bible. What? Well, there's anti-Semitics based on that. That's right. But the main point that we're making is that covenantalism does not answer all the questions. It just simply gives you a framework in the Bible. But dispensationalism takes care of that problem. That person is under the dispensation of law. We are under the dispensation of grace. A Jew that comes to Christ is no longer under law, but now under grace. Okay? But the law is still in effect. Covenantalism is not an end of, of explaining things. It's just a part of what God is doing, okay? And unfortunately, people don't get that. All right. Um, uh, he fulfilled it in its entirety. The law is annulled for those who receive his work. Therefore, if we are in Christ, we are not under law, okay? Paul explains this continuing on in Romans chapter 6, starting with verse, I'll go back to 10 again. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. Where is the knowledge of sin? Where does that come from? From law. Thank you, okay? So, he, uh, he died to sin once for all. If he died to sin once for all, then that means that we are not under law. Because by law is the knowledge of sin, okay? He died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. I'm not under law. I'm under grace, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Alive means through grace, not living the death of the law, okay? Once again, it doesn't mean you're not saved. It doesn't mean that you've lost your salvation. It means that you're being judged according to the law, which you wanted to be under when you gave up on the grace of Christ. And Paul's going to explain that as we continue. 
Therefore, verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. If you're alive from the dead, that means that you died to sin. And if you died to sin, you died to law. Everything that you did wrong before coming to Christ is still in that grave. He came out of the grave, but he died for sin. And if he has no sin, then that means all of the sin that he died for was yours, and it's in the grave. Everybody got that? The sin is gone. Live that way is what Paul is telling us. <clears throat> okay, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. If you're under law, then sin has dominion over you. That's how it is, okay? Once again, if you're saved, God is not imputing sin to you. But it can have dominion over you, and that's what the Galatians have been doing. They've been putting themselves back under the law. They're getting no rewards, and they're being looked at as if they are transgressors of a law, okay? In, in their deeds, not in reality, okay? Make sure that you understand the difference. They are saved, and they are not being imputed sin, but they're acting that way, and so they're getting no reward for the life they could be living, which is doing things for God in Christ under the grace of Christ. I know that's confusing, but just remember, you're not going to lose your salvation, but you can positionally put yourself somewhere that you shouldn't be, okay? All right, so we got um, Paul places the law and the flesh in the same category because of the requirement of circumcision. It was a work of the flesh and stands as representative of any deed under the law or even of the entire law. This is Paul's premise here. Circumcision, you know, the Judaizers are coming up to Galatia from, or coming down to Galatia from Jerusalem, and they're saying to the people in Galatia, you need to observe the law of Moses, and that includes being circumcised, okay? And Paul is saying that is incorrect because circumcision is being used as representative of the entire law. Christ died, you're not being imputed sin, so you can't be under the law, so why would you get circumcised? The law has no effect on you. It has no bearing on you. Okay, I'll read it again. Paul places the law and the flesh in the same category because of the requirement of circumcision. It was a work of the flesh and stands as representative of any deed under the law or even of the entire law. Circumcision is representative of the law. That's what you need to remember, okay? And once again, circumcision, which is what I told this guy, it's a picture of the coming Christ. It is called in the Old Testament a sign, okay? What is the difference between, say, a sign and a wonder? We went through this about five sermons ago. You got signs, which is the word ot. goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. The stars were placed in the heavens as for signs and for seasons, okay? When you see a star that's aligned with another star in a certain way, that may be a sign. Are the, are the stars... What God is pointing at, is he saying, that's it? No, a sign represents something else, okay? The star of Bethlehem was a sign, right? Whether it was a conjunction of three planets or whatever it was, okay, it was a sign. It wasn't a thing in and of itself. It was pointing to something else. What did it point to? The coming of Jesus, right? Okay, so a wonder, the word is mofet, that is the thing that actually is. In other words, I'm going to part the Red Sea. 
That is a wonder. It is the thing in and of itself. Okay, a sign is not like that, and circumcision is a sign. If it is a sign, and here's where the Jews misunderstand circumcision. They say, I am circumcised. They go into the room with the other Jews, and they say, here, I'm going to prove this now. I'm circumcised, and this is the sign of my righteousness. That's not at all what it is. The sign points to something else. It's not a thing in and of itself, okay? The sign points to Christ, and it was fulfilled in the coming of Christ. Because when Christ was born, he was born without a human father. It was cutting the sin nature. The sign is fulfilled because no sin transferred from, from father to child. Instead, he was born of a woman, fully man, but without the sin nature. That is the sign. The sign always points to something else. So when you're reading the Bible, uh, behold, the Lord will give you a sign. The virgin shall conceive and uh, bear a son. Okay, what is the sign? Okay, the virgin is having a child. Is that the importance of it, or is it the son that is born because she was a virgin, right? You think it through. The sign always will point to something else. The virgin has a child, and that's wonderful, and theologically it's absolutely necessary, but the point is that he was born of a virgin, not that she was a virgin in and of itself, okay? So uh, think it through when you get to the word sign. As long as it's translated properly from the word ot, O-W-T, okay, then you will know that it is pointing to something else. All right, and that's what Paul is trying to tell us here. I know it's confusing, but this is what he is saying. Paul now shows that receiving the completed work of Christ and being led by the Spirit are in the same category. So you've got the law and you've got flesh, and then you've got the completed work of Christ and walking in the Spirit. So you can either walk in the flesh, meaning deeds of the law, or you can walk in the Spirit, meaning under the grace of Christ. Okay? The two are entirely separate dispensations, law and grace. Mixing them makes no sense. It is contradictory, and one nullifies the other. As I said, a person that wants to go back under the law is not going to lose his salvation, but he has nullified the grace of the grace of Christ in himself, and he is now getting no rewards for the life that he's living, okay? Mixing them makes no sense. It is contradictory, and one nullifies the other. If we observe works of the law, Christ is of no value to us. His work is annulled in us. So here we go. Go down the road, and you see the Seventh-day Adventist church, okay? They've got other problems, but one of them is reinserting the law of the Sabbath, okay? And they've got all kinds of other things that they insert. Hebrew roots churches. We are more holy than you because we're doing, we're observing the feasts of the Lord and we're not eating pork and we're doing these things, right? It's all show. It's all show according to Paul and one has nullified the other. They are not living in the spirit. They are not living in the spirit even by a long shot, not even close. They have given up on the spirit and they've gone back to deeds of the flesh. If they are saved, they will get this much of a reward for what they are doing. Zero. That is the problem with doing these type of things. And this is Paul's handwriting. It's not mine. I'm just giving an analysis of it. But when you read it, it is as obvious as the nose on your face. What verse are we in? 18. Read it again. It says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. That's it. I didn't write that. Paul wrote those words. The author of Hebrews is the one that wrote that the law is annulled. I didn't write that. And when I tell people that the law is annulled and they say, oh, you're, you're going to hell because of blah, blah, blah. And I take it, cut from the Bible and I paste it onto their Facebook page and say, here, read this. What do you get? You get 
nothing. You just get nothing because they just shut it off. They don't even want. Oh, by the way, listen, I'm going to say this now just as a getting ready for it. Then it's going to be whenever Sergio does a live stream for the CS Key Sunrises on YouTube. Once he does that, I am going to be on Facebook 20 days from that day and I will never be on Facebook again. Okay, I'm done with it. Okay, but I want to continue that because we put in the camera and I want people to enjoy it. But once that is done, every single thing that I do on Facebook can be accessed somewhere else. You can read the daily commentaries at the Superior Word website. You don't need to go to Facebook to get that. Every single thing that I do is somewhere else or it will be somewhere else. And I am done allowing my time to be devoted to a guy that hates this nation and that is profiting off of me being on that. The only reason why I've been on Facebook for the past two years at all is because of the church. And now everything that we do, everything that we do can be accessed somewhere else. So I don't need it anymore, and I'm going to be off. The layout of, of the daily devotionals are better on the, your site than they are on Facebook. Oh, absolutely. They're better on there anyway, but a lot of people aren't going to read them simply because they don't want to click one more thing. I don't care. When I'm off of Facebook, I will never go there again. You know, people say, oh, you'll be back. You always hear that. When I left Comcast years ago, I'll tell you what happened. This is kind of a fun story, and you can see how I think. When I, uh, when, um, I just got back from overseas, it was 1993, and the next year they raised up the rates on Comcast, we'll say a dollar. I said, it's a private business, you know, if I want the service, I'll pay it. Okay, and the next year they raised it up a dollar. And I was like, okay, it's a business, I don't care. And then the next year, it went up five dollars, and back then that was a lot of money, right? And I found out that day in the paper, or on Comcast, or wherever I found it, we didn't have internet at the time. All we had was the TV. But I found out that the reason why they raised it $5 wasn't because of their costs directly. It was because the the county commissioners wanted to have their own channel. And without in any way asking the people to vote on it, without asking anybody's permission, they said, if you will do that, then we'll approve a rate increase for you. So it was a tax without being a tax. And I called up and I said, I want to cancel my Comcast today. And she said, I've never had so many cancellations. And I said to her right, right then, I said, there's a difference between them and me. I will never be back. And I never went back. Okay. Now, when the internet came in, I had to go to Comcast. I had no choice, but we didn't have the TV. Okay. And as soon as I could go to Verizon or whatever it's called now, Frontier, I'm now there. I am not going to give people my money that did something like that. It was taxing the people without taxing, and it's a principle with me. Well, I got a principle against this guy Zuckerberg, and I am not going to. He did this a year or two ago. He just I left, left, and I know you did. Ago, I know you never, never go back. The dust I, yeah, now I'm I'm done with it. I just, but I'm letting you know now, and I'll give people 20 days. I'll remind them every day for 20 days, and when I'm done, I'm done. I just I don't want to be there anymore. But that's how I work. Once I've done something, that that road is done. I'm done with it. Okay. Um, okay, so mixing them makes, makes no sense. It's contradictory and one nullifies the other. If we observe works of the law, Christ is of no value to us and his work is annulled in us. If we are led by the Spirit, Christ is our hope. The law is annulled for us. We can annul the work of Christ in us or we can have the law annulled for us. Either way, it's our choice. Once again, I'll say it for the 15th time, if you are saved, you are not going to lose your salvation, but your attempts at earning rewards will not receive rewards. And I, it's not me just making that speculation. This is what Paul is telling us. 
If you are under works of the law, then you are not under grace. And if you are not under grace, you cannot be pleasing to God. That is what Paul is saying, and I'm just further analyzing it for you, but I am 100% certain that I am correct in this. The other example I give from time to time so you can see the, the severity of it is woman preachers. Okay, the Bible says, do not do this thing. They are not to teach or have authority over a man, okay? So, a woman becomes a preacher, and she goes out, and there's men in the congregation, and she leads 15,000 people to Jesus. Is she going to get one reward for being disobedient? That would not be the God of the Bible. He cannot reward disobedience. It would be contrary to his nature. He is infinitely righteous. For him to say, oh, look, the ends justify the means. That cannot happen. I'm sorry. All that work that she did and all the fame she got, that was her reward in this life. That was it. She'll be saved if she's saved, and if she's not, she made her own bed. But what? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I won't say that again, but yes, I'd agree with you. Um, okay, so here we go. Life application. Stop with your works of the law. It is destructive and it is foolish. Okay, you know, people sometimes will say, well, you shouldn't say that because the Bible says call no man a fool. Guess what? The Bible tells us who to call a fool. The fool says in his heart, there's no God, so I can call an atheist a fool. And it gives all kinds of people in the book of Proverbs that they say, that is a fool. And so I can just quote the Bible. That guy is a fool. I don't need to make things up because the Bible's already done it. Okay? People that say that just don't like to hear the truth. They just don't like to hear the truth. That's right. Okay, um, go ahead, 19. 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Okay, you know, I, I don't like the way they did that one because they said the acts. And I understand they got to translate it different, but it's works. Works of the law. Because he's showing us works as opposed to, anyway, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. Okay, so we'll go ahead and read that right now. In Paul's words, now the works of the flesh are evident. Several points arise. The first is that some of these in the list he will provide are sins of the mind. Therefore, flesh is speaking of the corrupt human nature rather than the physical body itself. It's just we are in the flesh or we are in the spirit. And sins of the mind are included in sins of the flesh. Like, um, uh, what is it? Uh, thou shall not covet. Okay, nobody knows if I'm sitting here coveting right now. Okay, nobody has any idea, but God does. Okay, and my coveting is a sin of the flesh. All right, it's an act, of, it's a sin of the mind. Therefore, flesh is speaking of the corrupt human nature rather than the physical body itself. This corrupt nature manifests, its, manifests itself in these acts which are contrary to holiness and godliness. The list here from Paul's hand is similar to that which Jesus mentioned in Matthew 15. He wrote there, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. So he's making a point there. He's saying that it's what stems out of the inside which makes you defile. Okay? Paul is using a very similar list, and he's doing the same thing. Okay, now before I go on, because we're going to have, uh, you know, these things, I'm going to get down, I'm going to read it now, and we'll analyze it later, but it says, um, uh, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you, also told you in the time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, think about that, because 
There are people that are in the church that are actually saved that have done these things, right? David did several of these things. And yet we know that they have inherited the kingdom of God in the Old Testament. We know that there are people that are saved and where you're not going to lose your salvation. So think through the answer to that while we're going on from here. Okay, another point is that these are considered works to Paul. That's why I didn't like the, the uh, acts. acts. Yeah, it's just when one works, they receive what for their work? Wages. Wages or pay. That's right. You get paid for your work. Therefore, one can expect a type of payment for these works of the flesh. In the case of these types of works, the payment will be negative. And like the words themselves, well, I'm sorry, the works themselves, destructive. Okay? Thirdly, Paul says that these works are evident. Man has a moral compass instilled in him. We have to actively quash that moral compass. It is there. And these people that are on the left that are now doing the things that they're doing up in the White House and in the Congress know that they are doing wrong. But some of them, or many of them, I would say many of them, a large, yes, a large percentage of them have seared their consciences. They know what they're doing is wrong, but they have seared themselves so much that it no longer matters. They are completely and totally depraved human beings but they know that they're doing wrong. They just have seared it away so that it's not even a consideration for them anymore. And this is why it's going to be ever-increasing wickedness. It's not just one of those things where, oh, I've made this step and that's as far as I'm going to go. It is ever-increasing wickedness. And unless the tide is stemmed, there is no remedy for a nation that falls under that category. None. Okay, the tide has to be stemmed. It was stemmed. It is now going back in the opposite direction. We'll find out where it goes. Thirdly, Paul says um, uh, that these works are evident. Man has a moral compass instilled in him. These sins are sins which are recognized in societies throughout the world. I don't care where you go in the world. There was at some point when that society existed when these things were not tolerated. And I'm talking about these things and other things that are obvious in your mind right now that you're thinking, I know that what he's talking about, okay? And yet, all around the world, these things are becoming accepted. Not because the moral has changed, the standard remains unchanged. God's standard does not change. But we allow society to determine the morals. We allow individual leaders to determine the morals. Where does morality come from? Where is the basis for morality? And that's a question that, entire courses in colleges and seminaries are based on that question. And I'm not just talking about theological seminaries. I'm talking about, you know, you can go to a French university and they'll have a, a whole argument on why society determines morals or why uh, morals are mores. In other words, whatever I want is what's appropriate. They have entire courses on that explaining to you why your mores determine the moral around you and somebody else will have different morals and it doesn't matter. That is impossible, by the way. I want you to know that. But there are courses on these things and unless somebody is well trained in theology, they can get themselves caught in a real box of not understanding what is going on in this world. And that's why this is what you need to know more than anything else. This book right here, because this establishes the baseline of God's morals or it doesn't establish it, it reveals the established baseline of God's morals. And then from there, when you go to a seminary and you hear something that's hogwash, you know it, okay? Or at least you can say, I know that's not wrong and I don't understand it, but I'm going to search out why, and you do it until you figure it out, okay? 
All right, so um, these are, since they're recognized in societies throughout the world, they were or are still, okay? If you go to Africa, there are still a couple countries out there that will not tolerate certain things in their society that we have now openly tolerated in the past, uh, since the coming of Obama, okay? They're now openly talked about and done, and, and that's why Africa, these countries over there that have these morals are not liked by the left, and they condemn them and say that they're intolerant and blah, blah, blah. It's because they do not want that hint of somebody having a moral that conflicts with their own depravity because then it causes a conflict in their mind. And they don't want any conflicts. They want to be able to do around the entire world anything they want to do. If I travel to that country in Africa that forbids this particular act, I'm going to feel uncomfortable there. And I don't like that feeling. Even if that person never goes there in their life and has no intention of it, they don't want that feeling there. This is what Paul is referring to in his writings, the, the state of human nature, okay? Only when members of the society purposely harden themselves, or as she said, sear their conscience, um, harden themselves against their conscience, do they ignore the internal warnings which accompany these works. The first is adultery. It is a word which speaks of physical union between a married individual and someone who is not their spouse. However, it is also equated in the Bible with what? Adultery. Uh, yes, turning away from God and to uh, another, you know, and Jeremiah is filled with that, you know, most of the uh, the prophets are. But false gods, turning from the true God to false gods. It can further be defined as merging false religion with the true faith. What is that called? Syncretism. Thank you. Syncretism. Okay, so any of those can be termed adultery. But just for the sake of we're, we're in adultery, we might as well go here very quickly just so that we can see uh, an example. Oh, I'm going the wrong way. you got to go this way, Charlie. Um, I, let me see if I can find this very quickly, and if I can, it's just a good... And you can think of the exact same example of turning away from God, okay? Um, oh, we talked about in last week's sermon, too, didn't we, about the, uh, uh, the adulterous wife, okay? Um, and so, hang on here. Where is it? Um, okay. All right. Well, here's one that he says, this is Proverbs, he says, um, uh, to keep you from evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress, do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with her eyelids. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread, and an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. And then he talks in chapter 7, here it is, and we're going to read this because it's dealing with this issue and it speaks about this type of thing. My son, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commandments and live and my law as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister and call understanding your nearest kin, that they may keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. For at the window of my house, I looked through my lattice and saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths a man devoid of understanding, passing along the street near her corner, and he took the path to her house. It was twilight in the evening, in the black and dark night, and there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside, at times in the open square lurking at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him. With an impudent face, she said, I have peace offerings with me. 
Today, I have paid my vows, so I came out to meet you, diligently to seek your face, and I have found you. I have spread my bed with tapestry, colored coverings of Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband, this is the adulterous woman, is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him and will come home on the appointed day. With her enticing the word there, appointed day, it means the full moon. So it could mean after two weeks or it could mean actually the literal full moon. Scholars vary on that. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately, here it is, he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks. Till an arrow struck his liver, as a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know it would cost his life. Well, he talks about that type of thing several times in Proverbs, and it's well worth paying heed to. But that is the result of such things, okay? Is it true? We know it is because his father was seduced in that way. Not in the same way, but he looked at a woman, you know, that wasn't his own wife, and death was the result, okay? Um, let's see here. Where were we? Um, Paul in the flesh. Oh, yeah. So we have adultery, and uh, I just read that one. Okay, adultery, it is a word that speaks of a physical union, yes, or turning away from the true God. It can be further defined as merging false religion with the true faith. All the way through the Old Testament, adultery is mentioned in all of those contexts. Fornication is the next one. It is the Greek word porneia. You can hear the root of our pornography in there. It is, oh, yeah, it is the basis of our modern pornography. It can include whoredom, idolatry, and so on. Properly, it means a selling off or surrendering of sexual purity. It further includes promiscuity of any and every type. Okay, uncleanness is the next word. It is the Greek word akatharsia. It is impurity or defilement in both a physical and a moral sense. It comes from the idea of an open infection, leprosy, in the birthing process or even touching a corpse. Each of these defiles the physical man. The spiritual connection is anything that defiles or corrupts the spiritual and moral man. Okay, the next one is lewdness. It is the Greek word asalgeia. Okay, it includes things like outrageous conduct, Conduct shocking to public decency, which used to be something in the United States. If people did that, then people would, you know, be angry and upset about it. Now it's the most common thing in the world. Even in the halls of Congress, did you see the, uh, I, I won't get into it now, the people that this guy is appointing. Okay. Hey, just hey, unbelievable. Okay. And this would have been, this, you know what? We would have had some of these people in lunatic asylums. And now they are running the government of the United States of America. Okay, there's no longer this outrageous or this outrage at outrageous conduct. Okay, conduct shocking the public decency, wanton violence, and wanton lewdness. It is the casting off of moral restraint and entering into unbridled licentiousness. Now, think of that. Just think of that. What's going on in the halls of the government today? Today. And that's exactly what is being described here. And this is what Paul is saying. These people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay? Life application. When there is a law, the law stirs up in us the ideas of that which is unlawful. If we are told to not 
pursue pornography, it piques our curiosity to see what pornography is. If you don't know what pornography is, you can't say, well, I'm going to go do pornography. But as soon as you know that it's there and they say, well, you can't do that, you say, well, what is it? And you click on it and all of a sudden you're trapped. It's just like any other sin. Okay? So, in Christ, we are to live by the Spirit and rely on Him as we walk in this fallen world. Only through Him can we prevail over works of the flesh. And I understand works of the flesh are they're the toughest of all of them. I mean, you, alcoholism is, uh, you're stuck in that, you're stuck in drugs. I mean, these are physical things that cause addiction. But I would say that the worst ones of all are the, the, the things that affect the mind, pornography and things like that. But drugs can be that way because if somebody is a drug addict or an alcoholic, if they get over that for the rest of their life, when the idea of drinking or of drugs comes up, it goes to the mind. And the first thing they see is, remember that and it, it, it so it can be a, as much of the mind as it is of the body but just be on be aware that things that happen in the mind usually or not always but they can very quickly turn into deeds of the flesh so it's it's very tough to deal with these things and I understand that you know I, I I'm a pastor okay I won't say anymore um, I can't believe I said that I, I never say I'm a pastor when somebody asks me what I do I always say I'm a preacher you know, I don't feel like a pastor because I feel like everybody that comes to the church is on like the same level as me. They all love the word of God. They may not know it as well, and that's why I'm preaching it, but they're all on the level of loving the word of God. How can I be a pastor to people like that? You know what I mean? How can I, how can I do that? I preach to them because they want to be preached to. People that need a pastor want to be pastored, right? I don't know. It just seems, maybe that's just me. I just, uh, whatever. Uh, especially these guys, they go out to mission work with me. They know I don't wear shoes and I'm goofy out there and we're just regular people. And so, you know, or worse, she said, okay, um, let's see, your life application, I read that. Um, yes, in Christ we are to live by the Spirit. Only through Him can we prevail over works of the flesh. Okay, 520. And do we have, yes, we have time. Idolatry and, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions. Okay, there's a little difference here on two of the words. I'll read them. Idolatry, this one says sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies is the way they describe that. So a uh, little different in the list, but we'll continue on now. Paul continues his list with of the evident works of the flesh. This is what Paul is calling works of the flesh. Okay, now remember, We've all done some of these things, and maybe some of us are still doing some of these things. I'm not here to get into that part of it right now, okay? But when we sit up on our high horse and we say, well, that guy does this, when we're doing this, right? Yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of churches that do that. You know, I won't say uh, a church I used to attend because I, I loved the pastor, but uh, there were, after he died, there were some things that came out that I realized in that church that I thought this, you know, they're all on their moral high horse and you got these people that are doing the same different things in the, the list, okay? And they're looking, oh, you do this so you can't be a good person. And I, you, I left that church after. I could never go back in there. I couldn't. So I, I it brought about some other good things in my life, but I, I was crushed because, you know, you, you have an ideal in your head when you're a young Christian and you, when it, it falls through, I, I was crushed. He'd go remembers. Envy and jealousy are 
You know. Yeah, envy and jealousy are in there, and that's we feel those all the time. I mean, here, Burke, is, he's got that face showing that he obviously feels that way. I mean, so you have this in you. You have no right to, to look down on somebody that does one of these other things. You correct them as a brother and, you know, follow the biblical pattern. If they're doing it openly in the church, then you have to say you're going to have to leave this church, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, whatever. But, yeah, we got to be careful when we point the finger. As a matter of fact, the pastor, I, I've heard it a million times since then, but he's the first person that ever said that I had heard. He said, when you're pointing a finger at somebody, there's three more pointing right back at you. Well, it's obviously something that everybody says, but it's true. You, you got to be careful who you're pointing your finger at, okay? Because you are pointing at yourself in this list in one way or another. When, the, when that Jaguar goes by you, 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 you oh, yeah. Oh, you got to have that Jaguar. You know, I'm not, I like sports cars. I love to see them, but I am an antique car guy. When I see them, I get that cringe, man. I love antique cars. But I, I, I kind of cured myself a bit because I've had a lot of antiques. Mom knows this and Hedico knows this. And I've spent enough time under them, fixing them, that I no longer want to own one. I love to look at them, and when they go by and they're working properly, I, I do feel a little jealous, but I don't ever want one again because I know how much work they are. And uh, as a matter of fact, the last time I owned any unusual car, maybe it was the second to last one, I was under there on my shell driveway being poked with the shells in the hottest day of the summer, mosquitoes all over the place, and I've got oil leaking on my face, and I said, I'm done. And I was done. That's why I drive an old pickup truck now, yes. Oh, okay, back to the Bible. Okay. Yeah, well, he started it. Oh, drunkenness. Where? Where? Oh, yeah, that's coming. Are you reading verse 20? That's 21. We're not down there yet. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. Here we go. Paul continues with his list. You got to let me finish this. What? Oh, yeah, he made me. That's right. That was called kicking the can down the road. He, he, the serpent made me do it. And then, well, the woman that you gave me, he's blaming God, the woman you gave me. That's kicking the can down the road. Okay, um, let's see here. Um, nine are given in this verse beginning with idolatry, the works of the flesh. This is the worship or service of an image. It is obvious if one is worshiping or serving an image that they are not giving faithful reverence to God. Now, this can be more than an image like bowing down to a Buddha. Okay, we can be idolatrous of our own car. Okay, we got to be careful with that. But um, if we're worshiping something, we're not giving faithful reverence to God. They're robbing him of what belongs to him alone. Idolatry can be something of the heart or it can be manifested in outward displays. It is the final warning of John in his first epistle. What does he say there? Can anybody quote it without looking? 1 John 5, I think it's 21 or something. Like love one another, no, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Yeah, the very last thing that he said. Okay, it is. It's 1 John 5, 21, and there it is right in front of me. Next thing I, I get ahead of myself. Sorry about that. Okay, sorcery is next. In Greek, it is, anybody know the word? I say it in the prophecy update from time to time. Pharmakia, that's right. That's exactly right. Okay, now there's two words that are closely related in there, and they both are pertinent. And I will have something in the prophecy update this Sunday that it's not just, you know, oh, he takes drugs and so he's into pharmacia. It is, it is so much a fulfillment of the book of Revelation that I couldn't believe it when I read it. So I, I included it in the uh, update. Okay, it's the word pharmacia. Uh, the word gives a clue as to what the sin is linked to. It means properly drug-related 
sorcery. Remember that term right there, drug-related sorcery, when we get to the Prophecy Update on Sunday. It is the act of thriving on this attitude of heart. I'm sorry, I, I skipped a whole uh, sentence there. Okay, um, drug-related sorcery, as in the practice of magical arts, and so on. It involves using medicine, drugs, and spells together. Keep remembering what I'm reading you right now, and we'll, we'll have it in the update on Sunday. Anytime someone uses drugs in order to focus on the supposed divine they are participating in this sin. Now, this isn't just something that's modern, and it's not just something that the socialites in Greece did, okay? They found out that there is a god that these Indians, um, I can't remember, somewhere in the desert southwest of America, I think, and they have this god, and they have drawings of it. And nobody knew what this god was, but they're they're drawing this god. And they found out, and I'm, I'm just going to make up a drug, peyote, okay? It's one of the drugs that these people use out there. And they would smoke it, and they would, this god would reveal himself to them, okay? And they found out that it is a real thing. In their eye, these floaters that are in there, your eyes somehow focus on them when you're taking this drug. And so they're worshiping something floating around in their eyeball. And they know this now because they did the studies on it. But for the longest time, they had no idea what this God was. You talk about worshiping the wrong thing. Oh my goodness. Anyway, so um, anytime someone uses drugs in order to focus on the supposed divine, like these people were doing, they are participating in this sin. Hatred is defined as enmity or hostility. It is the act of thriving on this attitude of the heart. Anti-Semitism is a good example of this particular work of the flesh. It is an unbalanced thought process which demonstrates hatred for no particular reason. Think of what the news services are doing today, saying that we need to retrain all of the Republicans. 75 million people in this country that disagree with them, and they're saying that we need to retrain all of them, and they're going far beyond that. We need camps for them. Openly saying this on public news services today. You are an enemy of the United States of America because, and this is the attitude, this is a biblical thing that is being portrayed right in the media of the United States of America today because it's so ingrained in the heart of people who have departed from God. Okay? Connections are, uh, yes, uh, contentions, that's the next one, are reflected in the attitude of quarreling or strife. It is a readiness, this is a quote from Helps Word Studies, it is a readiness to quarrel, having a contentious spirit, affection for dispute. And we all know people like this, they love to argue. I worked with a guy out at the uh, wastewater plant for years, and it didn't matter what you talked about with him. He could, he could love the thing you're talking about, but as soon as you mentioned it, he would take the opposite view and he'd start needling you. And, you know, you could, you, it could be your paycheck. I got a, a pay raise that he got at the same time. You say, isn't it great that I got this pay raise? And he would turn around and say, they gave us 52 cents too little. It would just be always an argument for the sake of argument. Yeah, that is, maybe. there you go. Um, let's see here. Affectionate for dispute is, would be a person like this, Okay. This is the person who argues for the sake of argument. There's nothing to be gained from such an attitude except further strife and further enmity. And like I said, we all know people that want to do this to some extent. Jealousies are defined as those internal emotions where someone burns with inappropriate fervency. You were talking about that Jaguar going by, and some people really burn with jealousy that somebody has a better car than me. We have a term in America 
called Keeping Up with the Joneses, okay? I will tell you uh, that in Japan, Keeping Up with the Joneses was, it's a small country as far as life. You might have an apartment that's about a third the size of this little room we're in right now, okay? And that would be their whole life. And so when somebody came over, they wanted the best of whatever was in that little apartment. You may not own a car. Most people, when I was there at least, had a bicycle that they rode to the train station. And then when they got to where they were going, they had another bicycle waiting to take them to work. That's how they got around. And not one bike when I was there, not one had a lock on it. Not one. Nobody stole bikes. It was, you, you had a, a, a vending machines. Okay, and you could buy anything you wanted out of a vending machine. You could buy a bottle of rum or whiskey, Suntory whiskey. You could buy beer out of it. And until they were of the age to drink it, they would not put the money in there and buy that, that beer. In America, that thing would be empty three seconds after the guy pulled away. But they, they, they were such a disciplined society that you didn't have theft and you didn't have these, these type of crimes. But one thing that they did have was... Inside their houses, they had to have the best. And they were in competition with their neighbors to have exactly what Paul is writing about here. And so you never had a refrigerator more than about a year old. They would just get a new refrigerator to say, I have the newest refrigerator. Okay? And so... But they couldn't say it. Well, no. They, it was just their status. Oh, I got a new refrigerator. Come and look at, look at my beautiful new... It's got the new pink. Okay. But the thing about this is that you have to do something with old refrigerators you got to get rid of them. And so the refrigerator the refrigerator guy would come and he'd deliver the new refrigerator and he'd take the old one. And he didn't know what to do with them because they he had to pay to have them taken away. Well, guess what? We found out that he wanted to get rid of them and he didn't want to have any reason to pay to have them taken away. So when we found that out, he would give them to us. And we would go on to the military base and we could sell a one-year-old refrigerator for $30, which back then was a ton of money for us. I'm making, you know, $400 a month with a wife and two children. So I was out there selling refrigerators, and the guy was so happy to get rid of these refrigerators. It was a great business. But there you go. The point is that they, they have this jealousy, this burning thing in them where they don't want to be behind the neighbor with a refrigerator. Remember that? All the refrigerators we had, and people were always asking for them. It was great. Okay, so um, let's see here. Um, where am I? Da, 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 uh, jealousies. Okay, emotional. No, that's it. Uh, where was I? Yes, that was it. Okay, they lust what they do not have, and they often express burning desires in physical or emotional outbursts. Honey, you've got to get me the new refrigerator. Sachiko down the road has got one, and I, I don't have one. Okay, outbursts of wrath is the next one. It's a single word in the Greek, thumos. It, this indicates rage or a personal venting of anger. This is displayed by violent people who refuse to control their emotions instead of using them in tirades toward, instead they use them in tirades towards any or all around them. Just people that are constantly blowing up. That doesn't mean that you don't have your stress limit and you blow up at your wife or your children and, or your puppy, whatever. We all have limits where we blow up. That's not what that's talking about. It's talking about the person that is constantly angry. There's a couple of them. Uh, what's that lady's name? Uh, Tlaib. Tlaib, the uh, oh, Muslim Rashida, lady. Tlaib. Rashida. She's always angry. She's always angry. And she tries to have that, that smile on her, but she's always angry. Okay, that's a person like that. They're just tumos. Okay, the next one. Selfish ambitions are self-seeking carnal ambitions. They are displayed by those who lust for themselves, 
satisfying every personal desire without care for those around them. Okay, I see that a lot out on the, the mall that I take care of and at 7-Eleven. There are people like that that they have no care about the people around them. I can be out there cleaning something up and they'll walk right by and they'll flick a cigarette right in front of me while I'm picking up cigarette butts. I do it every day and they'll, they're just, they're vile people. Or I'll be picking something up and they'll throw their beer can right down in front of me. Like, you know, just, just, they're vile. Okay, selfish ambitions. I am the center of this universe. I don't care about anybody else. Okay, um, dissensions are pointless, groundless factions. They are brought in by those who simply desire to divide and conquer. We see that a lot in the world today. There is no harmony in them, but rather a desire to take over everything, regardless of how they get it done. Okay? I, I wrote this years ago. Next sentence. Democrats in the United States perfectly display this type of behavior. They are led by chief dividers who want anything but peace and harmony in the nation. Divide, 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 until people are so divided, and then they come in and they conquer. I typed that years ago, and it's, man, it's the front page of the news. Heresies, yeah, deal with religious aspects of life. People who hold to or espouse heresies are those who divide faith into self-chosen opinions or beliefs. There is normally no basis for their teachings except what they have made up in their own heads. And I'm going to give an example, and somebody's going to get angry and send me an email tomorrow. A classic example of this would be King James Onlyism. There is no basis for it. There is no biblical basis for it. They've got it in their head. They were told it. They have no idea about anything to do with the Bible, but they know that the King James Version is the only inspired word, and if you use anything else, you are going to hell. I've been accused of this so many times over the past 15 or 20 years. It is unbelievable. Constant stream of abuse from these people. Constant stream. I've been getting it for 20 years, okay? There is no rational reason for it, but it is espoused to destructive levels by those who hold to it. And that's just one example of many, many, many pet peeves that people have, and they just abuse other people with them. Abuse. A more relevant example to Paul's day is what brought in the need for this epistle, that of the teaching of Judaizers. Life application, stay away from the list of things in this verse. Is that a good life, life application? I hope so. Okay, I'm not going to have time to do all of the next one. we got uh, nine minutes left, and I'm not going to have time. So uh, we can do something else for a minute. Let me circle this. I, uh, we can try. Do we want to try one more? No, you tell me. Anybody? I, uh, well, I'm going to have to blow through it quickly. Let's do it. Let's go through it really quickly. 521. And envy. Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I wish I didn't get into that. Okay, well, here we go. In this verse, we're going to have to go quick. In this verse, Paul completes his list, and it's good to complete it. It's good to live. Okay, of works of the flesh. After this, he will give a summary thought concerning people who pursue such works. This verse begins with envy. This is identified as strong feelings or desires which sour due to the influence of sin. It is the jealousy of a bitter mind, which shows displeasure at the success or blessing of another. Okay, Helps Word Studies goes on to say that figuratively, it is the miserable trait of being glad when someone experiences misfortune or pain. Okay, yeah, bad, bad place to be. Followers, oh, following this are murderers. 
This item is not in many manuscripts, okay? Some have it, some don't. But assuming it belongs there, it is the unjust taking of life from another human being. If you want to know that, you have to go back and watch the Leviticus sermon. I believe it might be numbers, but it's the word ratzach. It's introduced into the Bible in the giving of the sixth commandment. Is it the sixth commandment? Thou shall not kill. The word is ratzach, okay? Yes, murder, okay? It is not killing in war, it is not slaying a person for a capital offense, and all these stupid signs that the liberals hold up and say, thou shalt not kill when somebody's being executed, when the Bible commands, even apart from the law of Moses, it commands that people that commit capital offenses are to be killed. They are to be taken out of a society. We're commanded to do that. And you get these people that just throw up something out of its context, go research the word ratzach. If you want to watch the sermon, send me an email and I'll send you that and it'll help you define what that word means. And then it's brought in again later in the book of Deuteronomy. We talked about it a while ago. Okay, so it does not include capital sentences of death that are rightly handed down, nor does it include the taking of animal life. The next item is drunkenness. Okay, having said that about animal life, the Bible does say to care for your animals, okay? I can't remember the exact verse, but I think it's in Ecclesiastes, the man who doesn't or something. But anyway, we're supposed to take care of them, but there's nothing that says you cannot slaughter an animal, okay? Um, drunkenness. This is immoderate drinking, immoderate drinking. The Bible does not forbid the consumption of alcohol during any dispensation. There is no time that it's forbidden. There are only two times in the Bible when drinking alcohol is forbidden. One of them is in the book of Leviticus. The other one is in the book of Ezekiel. They're dealing with the same issue. There is no other time. And in fact, I just typed the sermon for Deuteronomy 14 verses 22 through 28 this past Monday. And I can assure you that they drank when they went down and observed the eating of their tithes in the presence of the Lord. He commanded them to have a party down there. And the way the King James Version says it, whatever your soul lusteth after. Ooh, okay. So we'll get to that in about 10 weeks now. That sermon will come out. But there is no time that the drinking of alcohol is forbidden in the Bible. If you don't drink, don't hold it over somebody's head. And if you do, don't, don't uh, judge them the opposite way, okay? That is your choice, but this is immoderate drinking, okay? Only two times, oh yeah, only two times is forbidden in scripture. The first is when the priests performed their functions at the tabernacle slash temple, and the second is when a person was under the vow of a Nazarite. But I'm sorry, I said two times, I meant two books. The other book is Ezekiel speaking of the context of the priests, okay, plus the Nazarite vow. Other than those two, drinking is not considered sinful unless it leads to drunkenness. Revelies are next. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna get this done. Um, uh, we're gonna have to. Uh, I'm gonna stop with revelries. We're just not gonna get it done. And I can't go over. The reason why I can't go over this is because the guy that does the um, uh, podcasts, he takes what I do and he puts it onto a podcast. He can't go over an hour and a half with it without it causing all kinds of problems for him. I apologize for that. We're gonna have to stop in the middle of a verse. I don't like doing that. But we're going to have to today, and uh, I knew I wasn't going to be able to finish that, and I thought I could, but uh, we what? We, will, oh, we can start the verse again next week, and we can talk about it a little bit really quickly. That's a good idea. Okay, um, we're going to go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll be done. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful, wonderful word you've given us. Thank you for the instruction we've been given and these things that we should not be doing. 
We're not under law, we're under grace, and we understand that, but we are not given license to sin. And so help us to be circumspect in our walk in this life, to be good people that are good in the sense of Christian people that are are willing to pursue what you would have us pursue without all of the extra baggage that comes with our human existence in the flesh. Give us strength in this, give us wisdom in this, and when we fail, we know that we're already forgiven, but we would prefer not to fail. So strengthen us in our walk in Christ and help us to be walking in the Spirit with our eyes fixed on Jesus. We would pray this, that you would be glorified in the lives we lead, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, I apologize. I did not mean to... I knew that was going to happen. Oh, okay, here we go. Let me back this up so that they can... Uh, I got something to ask people before I, when I turn this off. Oh, let me put it on break, and then we're going to...